Welcome back to another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. I'm Steph here with Michelle, who is responsible for our next guest, Phil Sandler. She ran into him after decades not seeing each other at the gym. And um, I would say Phil is living his best life right now, it sounds like. Oh my God, that is so well said. Yes, I have never seen somebody who not only took his Cornell education and made it work for him, but then managed to make it work with him while still pursuing every little dream and hobby that he's ever cared about. You're going to find out all the things he's doing. And I'm so glad that I ran into him. It was my first day back to the gym in years. And there he was. So you're going to hear all about that meeting and everything Phil has done right after we roll the intro. Well, listeners, today we are very excited. We have our friend, Phil Sandler, on the show. We were great friends back in the late 80s and early 90s, and then we lost touch because there was no texting and emailing right away, but we always wondered about him. And as luck would have it, I ran into him recently at Orange Theory. There was somebody in unbelievable shape that made me feel inadequate. It was Phil. He's a monster in that place, Steph. You would not believe it. Wow. And he's known there. He's burning three times as many calories and jump squats are not a problem for him. Okay. Other important things. He started PostScript. He is the chief marketing officer and founder. He has had a really interesting career since he graduated. So we're going to get to all of that. And welcome to the show, Phil Sandler, our friend. Thank you. Great to be here. So Phil, as Michelle said, we knew you way back when, and I remember you from Greek life and all that, but tell us, where are you from? I know you were in our class, class of 1990, right? But where, yep. where are you from and what did you do your freshman year? Where'd you live? So born and raised in Queens, uh, if that's what you mean, where I'm from. Yes. Uh, so my freshman year, I lived in U-Haul 3, which was then torn down and rebuilt. So I was moved over to U-Haul 2. First person ever to live in New Hall 2, that no longer exists anymore. And my my claim to fame for U Hall 3 was I was in the basement. Oh, so God. like everyone forgot about us. No one knew who we were. We had our own little kind of posse down there. <laughs> I was the closest physical room to Johnny's hot truck on Stewart. Oh, Island. okay. Well, All right. well we're gonna get to that for sure. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. You can't believe how big a deal that is. I can't imagine the smells. The smells, the noise, the temptations, all of that was there. And I had this little side entrance. So I never went out the main lobby. I didn't meet anybody. It was horrible. But I, I could sneak out, put my name on the list, come back to my room and stay warm in like the middle of January oh my and God. get my, my PMP pet mush like an hour later. So it was great. Steph, how did we not date him? He's the perfect boyfriend. <laughs> that alone. I mean, he was a great guy, but for that alone. <laughs> okay. So you were U-Haul three and two. Tell us a little bit about your rush experience. You know, it was it was rush time, and and everyone was running around to different houses, and there's this guy driving around in this car saying, "Hey, you guys want to see a frat?" And I was with a, a couple of my <laughs> friends. We're like, "Sure, we'll go see your frat." Some like today that would never happen, where some random stranger like is driving down the road and says, <laughs> "Get in my car, I'm going to take you to a house and show you stuff." <laughs> uh, but we we did because you know we we felt safe in that environment, and so. I went to a bunch of houses and really liked them all and still have friends in, in, in many of them. But the first house we were, were driven to was Pike. And so we went there and, and uh, we met a you know, good bunch of guys and got a couple of bids from different houses. And at the end of the day, I accepted the Pike bid. And to this day, I have very close friends from, from the house who live around the area and I still keep in touch with. And you know, it's, it, was, it was great back then and it continues to pay dividends today. 
So you must have lived in sophomore year. That whole crew lived in, didn't you? Lived in sophomore year, then college town on Catherine Street. Uh, we just uh, our house was just demolished this year. Hmm. Lived just around the corner from the little wine shop on on College Ave, and across the street from Dino's, and and whatever the pharmacy was. I think it was a CVS or whatever. Uh, so yeah, uh, lived in college town the last two years. Michelle, do you remember? Was there a Monday night drinking club? Was that a Pika thing? MNDC, yes. Oh, MNDC. I would yeah. like it right now. I know. It's the greatest thing. <laughs> yeah. Or WMDC. Either one. We could do it any day of the week. Really. And what was it? There, there was no theme. It was simply an excuse to drink on a Monday. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was the greatest because Mondays sucked. And then yeah. you knew you were going there at night. All your friends were there. It was the greatest invention ever. Uh, well, with the exception that my Tuesday class attendance really was not very good. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. That's the negative. Did you know people when you got to Cornell? Did you come to Cornell with people and then also rush with those same people or your friends were all new friends? I knew a few people from high school. One of my closest friends still to this day, my friend Jeff, another high school buddy who was in, in your house, Susan, uh, and, and a few other, other people. And coincidentally, I worked in a Lucite and houseware store all throughout high school. And the next store over was a pocketbook and handbag store. And I befriended the, a woman working there and she said, oh, my friend, my friend is going to Cornell. You should meet him. I'm like, oh, sure. Yeah, I'll remember that. <laughs> and it was my friend Todd. And freshman week, first first week, orientation week, I was roaming around one of the U-Hauls and there was this guy playing his keyboard all by himself. Everyone else was out drinking in the hallways, running around being silly. And I saw this guy playing playing his keyboard in his room like what is wrong with this guy (laughs) he's not like hanging out playing with anybody it ended up being my friend Todd who this woman that worked in the store next to me said you have to meet to this day we are we are great friends okay so you befriended Todd you go through pledging tell us about your life on campus intramural sports or clubs what'd you do so I I played (laughs) I, I attempted to play uh, intramural lacrosse since it was brand new to me and the city school system you didn't have lacrosse we barely even had football I tried my hand at intramural lacrosse and I kept hitting myself in the head with the stick and dropping it, it was horrible <laughs> um, at, the same with ice hockey so I thought ah oh, Cornell hockey is great I always wish I, I could skate and whatever so I tried playing ice hockey and my ankles would be scraping along the ground I'd be holding on to the side of, of the rink and and at the end of the day, all we did was was skate into the middle and pile on each other and just beat each other up, and then go back and attend MNDC after the game. And so I, I barely played, but it was fun while I tried. And what school were you in, Phil? What were you studying? I was in the ag school. I was an ag ec major, so technically an economics major that didn't know how to do math, but there were things in there that I certainly certainly took and valued. But I remember the first week of school, I had to take a math placement test. And so in high school, I was kind of pushed through and and placed out of a lot of the things that were uh, requirements for other people just because we were in the honors program and this and that. So I hadn't taken math in like two years. And I take this math placement test and I I think I got a zero or like a negative. I think I got a negative number. (laughs) And they're like, so I was in this remedial like math for dummies class my freshman year and it was all these equations and things that you don't remember if you're not doing them every day and I hadn't done them in two years 
I was in all these internships and other things. So I didn't, I didn't have any more of the math classes. So being a math dummy in a very math based major was not, was not great naturally. (laughs) Tough start. Was Mickey Agec? Mickey, I think was Agcom. Did you take many comm classes? Because eventually you became the master of that outside of college. Did you take any? I took a few like uh, advertising and communications, public speaking, and I love them. And I realized, you know, 30 years later, I realized probably should have gone that route. So when you were a senior, Phil, what were you thinking about as a career path at that point? So I kind of wanted to be in a creative environment. I took this advertising class my junior year. I'm like, ooh, advertising is kind of cool. And it's the best way to work really hard and make the least amount of money possible. So I said, hmm, how can I start a career where I'm eating ramen noodles every night for dinner? And it was advertising. I'm like, perfect. (laughs) No, I I spent my first 15 years in in big agencies and things got better. I rose up through the ranks and started running and and building divisions in in big New York City advertising agencies. But for a while there, my my parents were like, you went to Cornell for this? Yeah. (laughs) Wait, were you doing the creative side of the advertising at those agencies? No, the the strategy and account management side of things or the business development side of things. But I, I loved being in that environment. But after 10, 15 years, it got really old. No matter what agency I was in, it was the same thing, the same smoke and mirrors, the same yeah. puffery wherever you went. So then, then I decided, hmm, the clients seem to have the life. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm moving to the client side. And the second phase of my career was building agencies within different enterprises. Oh. I love doing that because... Uh, I was being rewarded for how much my teams would sell and market and do. And, and it was much different, everything than the advertising agency environment, pay scales, everything. You were rewarded for what you sold and generated and, and the value provided. And I love that. I love building teams. I, I loved being a, I wasn't a creative guy by, by trade, but in my mind, I'd like to consider myself somewhat creative. So I was managing creative teams and technology teams and business teams and marketing and media teams. And I love that. So I did that for the second phase or the next 15 or so years of my career. Yeah. And then COVID happened. And then keeping a full-time marketing job became very difficult. So I had, a, I had two ups and downs very quickly. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to keep going through this revolving door of, of senior level marketing jobs because when you're the top marketing person, the first thing they cut whenever there's some sort of sort of downturn is the marketing. So I'm like, I'm doing my own thing. And so a few years ago, I started my own business where I raised my hand and said, if you need a CMO or someone to come in and help refurbish your marketing or build a team or structure your organization, call me. And through networking and through my my different associations and, and previous connections, got a couple of clients and I've been doing that ever since. And it's been great. It's just a whole new world. I, I run my own schedule. I work what I want. I, I, I determine what I make by how much I want to work or how many clients I have. Uh, I have you know, my home office and, and I go to my clients when I want. I go to the gym four mornings a week and I was never able to do that before. Uh, I'm I'm growing taller and I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> All so. these things. <laughs> so many benefits. Still, do you specialize in specific types of companies? So I have both business to business and business to consumer experience. Uh, I've worked for some some huge B two B organizations like 
like Shutterstock, which is the big global stock photography company running their global acquisition practice, and Gartner, which is the the IT research and advisory company. So I've done the B2B. I prefer the business to consumer, which is highly transactional, fast-paced, selling stuff online, branding and e-commerce. So who are you? And let's tell the world who you are. And how do we get you to come to a site and, and purchase things? So my preference is working with business-to-consumer clients, which are both of my or two or three of my clients right now. And it's about building a brand and making them legitimate and visible on all the various platforms and Google and search and what have you. And then bringing them to a site and make their prospects and customers buy stuff online. So that's what I really specialize in, the combination of branding and getting people to buy stuff. So you're being hired by mainly startups or younger companies. You're not, Nike is not hiring you. It's a company that wants to figure this all out. Yeah, largely startups and and, or private equity backed companies that need the experience I have, don't want to necessarily pay for me full time. So that's why I consider myself a fractional CMO. Okay. And are you a team or is it just you? Because that's a huge undertaking. So I am my company, but I have a whole network of people that do things I cannot do. Mm. All the technical development and the programming, the design, uh, a lot of the analytics and data science stuff. So I bring the teams together depending on what each of my clients need. So you're like the general contractor and then you subcontract out the pieces. You're the mastermind. Okay. Wow. That's great, Phil. That's such a great, I, I, I always admire people that can carve a new path with their skill set. And how do people find you? Where do most of your clients come from? I have a few different networking groups that I'm very active in. I They, they find me on LinkedIn or through my, my business website, just through word of mouth and what have you. My, my current two clients, one is through my networking group. I've been a part of for about 10 years. And one of my clients was pure happenstance. I was at a barbecue of, of my friend, my friend Todd, a Cornell alum, and I'm chatting with some of his friends. Uh, and there's another Cornell grad uh, a few years before us who represented me in a class action suit against the company that filed chapter 11. And we hired her to help get some of the money that was owed to us. And she said, oh, are, are you still in marketing? I said, sure. She said, we're firing our marketing agency. Would you talk to us about helping us you know, fill in our, our marketing needs? And I said, sure. So my last client came from a barbecue through two Cornell grads. <laughs> you, you never know where the opportunity is yeah. going to come from. And that's kind of the gift of Cornell. It just keeps given when you least expect it. Well, speaking of your online presence, Michelle and I have a very burning question. Uh Uh-oh. Because when Michelle said she reconnected with you and you were going to be a guest, we wanted to look at your LinkedIn and all that. But we did stumble upon your Facebook profile picture. (laughs) And you have some explaining to do. For our listeners that can't visualize it, picture a man in full blue skin. So I'm a big fan of the Blue Man Group. And every Halloween, I put that back up. And I've been so lazy, I haven't changed it since. <laughs> I, I leave it up like the week before and the week after Halloween. Clearly, I'm falling down on, on my, yeah. my Facebook maintenance. One Halloween for a, a office Halloween party, I got the official makeup from the Blue Man Group. I've seen them a bunch of times in different areas and, and cities around the, that around the country, just if I happen to be there. And... I take that blue makeup and I put it everywhere. It's in my ears, up my nose, on my neck, whatever. And so I get to work that morning. My car is destroyed because the tan leather interior is all blue. <laughs> it's not worth it. And I, and I get to work and I do, and, and like, you know, I win the, you know, effort award for the Halloween costume. And 
it takes me six to eight days to get all the blue no, no. out of everything. Every orifice. Oh no. Can no. I can I make a suggestion? Do mum and shants next time. <laughs> mum and shants. It's just <laughs> just toilet paper. Remember those people that's like that black box? That's easy. You just yeah. take it off. Yeah. Okay. Well, the 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 punchline is I found out that the blue man guys don't even do that. They take a bald cap. Well, of course they do. And so they're, they're not they're not cleaning the blue stuff out of the All right, ears. Phil, I am begging you, do not take it down for the next few weeks because our listeners are going to want to go on and, and just see it. I, I need a reason not to do it because I'm too lazy <laughs> anyway. That's, that's totally fine. Wait a month. Can we talk for a moment about another hobby of yours that might warrant a connection to a recent guest we had named Rob Price from School of Rock? You have taken up the drums. So as I now have have decided I'm going to create my own schedule, my own timeline, my own lifestyle. Yeah. Like, what did I always want to do that, you know, commuting to the city at six in the morning, coming back at nine at night didn't allow me to do. One of those things that I could not do because of time, and I grew up in a small, there were five of us in a small apartment in, in Queens growing up. You couldn't have drums. And I get this email, School of Rock, looking for adult performers. So fast forward two and a half years later, I've done six School of Rock performances, my 7th, February 12th, Super Bowl Sunday in Mount Kisco, New York at District Social. I will be playing the music of the Talking Heads in the Cars. Cool. But but I, I heard Rob's podcast, great organization, great company. I can't tell enough people to do it. And I signed up for my eighth class uh, yesterday. So each class, you are learning the skills and learning particular songs to play with the band. You're playing to the song and you're figuring out with you have a lesson a week and a band practice a week. Oh, my God. I'm impressed. All right. That's really fun. So you have you, you do a lot of fun stuff. It sounds like you have a great mix of career and stuff that's keeping you growing and keeping you young. And do you have a family? Do you have kids? I have a family. I actually married my high school sweetheart. We remember her. Thank you. We, we got through college and, and it was meant to be. I have a neuroscience major at the University of Michigan in his senior year. I have a two years out of University of Maryland graduate who is running PR and influencer marketing for Blue Mercury, the skincare chain, the national skincare chain. Love Blue Mercury. She's reverse mentoring me, which is great. She's telling me all about how to deal with influencers and folks that have some authority to talk about various products and services. And so she, kid in the city, uh, she's been there for a couple of years. My son is graduating this year, moving to Chicago, working for a healthcare consulting firm. And we're empty nesters. So we're trying to figure out what's what's next. Well, I know what's next because you Ooh. brought up that you're a CMO and your daughter is a latest tech marketing person. So next on your list is our quiz. We have a quiz for you, Phil. Oh, the quiz. I'm so nervous right now. Well, it's right up your alley. We are going to give you some products, some you've heard of and some you haven't. Mm -hmm. And since you have a history of print and radio and TV, but also Instagram and TikTok, you know it all. You're going to tell us based on the product where the best marketing efforts could be put. Okay. How about salsa pants? What are salsa pants? Are they pants made out of salsa? Well, it like, could be, or it could be pants you wear to salsa. Either way, that's your job. All right. Uh, so you, you need to see those in motion. So Instagram, TikTok, certainly Facebook, all sorts of display and, and retargeting kind of things where you see it on all the different websites and banners and what have you. Okay. I like it. Small collection of butterfly nets. Etsy, of course. 
but also Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all the consumer-facing sites, yeah. Okay. How about the dog lipstick? I don't think that should be advertised anywhere, ever. Fair. Where can we market the classic shoehorn? <laughs> Where do you come up with this? <laughs> the classic shoehorn. Think about like your oldest possible viewing audience. So only in print, like the Atlantic Monthly or Gr- Grit Magazine, maybe R- Reader's Digest, I think would be <laughs> good for that. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> that makes sense. Here's an idea. We pitched this to our friend, Jeff Walt. He loved it. So we're ready to go to market with it. Popsicle gloves. So you, you wear gloves so that the popsicle doesn't drip down. Well, you start by giving freebies out at the ice cream shops and the, you know, the, like all the, the, the Rita's ices and the haagen and the Leve- and the, the Van Leeuwen's and whatever, wherever they sell ice cream, you, you give them out for free and then you create this demand for them and then you pull it back and then people need to buy them. How about spare oboe parts? Uh, very, very niche. So like on all the music sites, like there's Sweetwater and, and some of these other music sites that focus specifically on musical instruments and parts. And So smart. All right. Listen, Phil, we have a lot of ideas in the hopper. Michelle yes. and I are constantly working on things. So we'll put you on retainer for all our ideas. But thank you for the free Love advice. <laughs> sure. Let's get to our Cornell speed round because you have whet our appetite with your proximity to the hot truck. I would like to start with that question and to know what was your order? PMP Pet Mush. So what was your favorite on-campus dining? I don't know if it was Oaken Shields or the Ivy Room. But what was the big room under the straight that had the big lofted ceiling and all the Ivy League flags and it was, it was like Harry Potter or whatever? Yes, that's Ivy Room. But next to it was Oaken Shields, which was on the plan. Ivy Room was not on the meal plan. I generally wound up at Oaken Shields. It was very social. They had the Big Becky burger. Do you remember the yep. Big Becky? So I had way too many Big Beckys, which is why I was 20 pounds heavier in college. <laughs> Favorite off-campus dining? Went to Joe's downtown a lot. Favorite library? Usually Owen Stacks because I had to concentrate anywhere else I could. Favorite class and or professor? Loved wines. Second to that, Psych 101. I just love that. Favorite bar? The Palms. What? <laughs> the Palms. Why? There's like three bars. I had like a stack of singles. I could go buy a bunch of beers at the Palms. All right. Yeah. So was that your go-to drink? Were you a beer guy? Back then, yeah, it was all you could afford. So, Phil, tell us what song brings you right back to the Pika dance floor. So, in 1986, Push It by Salt and Peppa. Yeah. Okay. How about some advice to a Cornell student? It could be a freshman, it could be a senior. What advice do you have? So, for the freshman, don't take it for granted. You don't know until it's over that you had so much at your at your disposal. I took it for granted. And I would be such a good student if I went back today. I was a crappy student back then. Don't take it for granted and learn the things you want to learn, not the things that you think are just going to give you a big paycheck. The paycheck will come, but learn what what you think is going to make you a whole person and don't don't take a second of it for granted. That's good advice. So Phil, bring us current. What do you, I know you're, you're a busy guy with, with all the stuff that we talked about, but do you have any favorite podcasts or TV shows or movies or anything you're into? So this is my favorite podcast, obviously. <laughs> For a while, I was really into the serial podcast. I, I don't listen to a whole bunch of podcasts, but this has now officially become my favorite. 
Mm-hmm. My wife and I just finished White Lotus. Yeah. Um, I've been through all of the usual suspects like Ozark and Better Call Saul, and they're all great and huge time sucks, but I love every second of it. <laughs> yeah, we need we need a new one, actually. So if you can recommend a new one, that would be great. Have you watched the Hallmark Channel Christmas specials? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I can't say I have. Sorry, I'll have, to, I'll have to put that somewhere on the list. Yeah, I have 30 of them on my DVR. Why don't you come over? Okay, let's talk about ways that our listeners can find you. Where are you? Give your socials here and we'll put them in the show notes too. LinkedIn, blah, 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 slash in slash Philip Sandler, Facebook, Philip Sandler, Twitter at Philip Sandler. I, I got in early because of being in the in the industry. So usually all Philip Sandler. I could be found with you, yes, Michelle, four or five days a week at Orange Theory. And I do have my own hot sauce called Saucy Sandler's. What is happening? Why didn't we market that? I mean, that's, yes. Where can people buy that? They don't. I, I just make it to lose money and give it away because I enjoy doing it. As soon as it becomes a business, it's a burden. But so many people in our local supermarket, hardware stores, they've asked me to provide them with some to sell. Please bring it to Orange Theory. And what's your website? philipsandler.com. But it's, I spent 30 seconds putting it together one day like three years ago. So don't go there. Don't please go there. don't go there. We went there. It was good. Yeah. And please go to Phil's Facebook. Just search Phil's, Philip Sandler or is it Phil Sandler just to see it. Just to see it. You look like you could be part of the Blue Man Group. It's it's just worth the look. <laughs> Phil, thank you. This was great. We're excited for all the things that you're doing and good luck on February 12th. All right. So Phil, tell us before we let you go, if you had to say what you're most thankful to Cornell for, what would it be? Just the connection uh, and the many connections, yeah. I should say. So I'm connected because of what the university is. And there's a certain cachet associated with the school and it's well-deserved because it's a fantastic school. But more importantly than that, just it didn't end when I graduated. Like the connections, the resources, the value I get from it continue to this very day. I have dozens of close friends that I still keep in touch with. I still take many of the things that I've learned and use them to this day. I think fondly about my experience there, my friends, and as evidence of the connections, just the three of us meeting today made my day because of the school and things like that just keep happening. And I love it. Well, our day was made too. It was so great to connect with you. You're so much fun. Yeah. Great to see you again. Phil. Thank you. This is great. I, I, I look forward to seeing the finished product and Michelle, I better see you at the gym. I'll see you there Friday. All right. Nice to see you. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Phil. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. Join us next week for another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. Thank you.